You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale finishes out our Thank You Notes sermon series. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. I am uh, excited to be here with you this morning. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Today we're going to wrap up this series that we've been in for the last several weeks called Thank You Notes. And if you missed any of the series, you can go back and listen to it on the website. Or you can, if you're one that downloads podcasts to your iPhone, you can do that. Uh, Tim and I have had some interesting conversations about the analytics of that. So um, if you download it off the, podca- uh, off the iTunes, Tim and I will be very grateful. And I'll just, we'll just leave it at that. But we've had some nice conversations this week. But this morning, we're going to finish up this series as we talk about being thankful, about being thankful for friends and thankful for people. And I want to start with, a, with a, an account from Scripture, an Old Testament story that you're probably very familiar with, especially if you grew up in the church. You, you have heard this story, no doubt. Um, it's one of these stories that we tell our little kids from the time they're, they're born, they're coming up through the nursery, and then and we worship and into uh, kids' worship. And actually, when you think about the actual story, I'm not real sure why we start telling them this story so young, but it's one of those stories that, that we tell, and yet it maybe seems like an odd story to talk about friendship. It's the story of David and Goliath. Um, you all know the story, hopefully. Um, if you don't, let's just a real quick uh, crash course, refresher course for you. David is the son of Jesse. Jesse has several sons, and the Israelites are in a war with the Philistines. The Israelites always seem to be in a war with the Philistines. And they're in this battle, and Jesse has several sons who are out on the front lines. They're in the army in the, army in the tents fighting this battle and David is the youngest son and David has stayed home to take care of the farm all the sheep all the animals all the all the crops they need David's attention and so one day Jesse says to his youngest son David hey I need you to go check on the boys I need you to go see how they're doing go go make sure they're okay and just get an idea for how things are going in the war see if we're about to win this thing or not and so David gathers up some food and he takes it to to the front lines of the battle and he finds his brother and he gives them he gives them their food and he's just checking in on the on the circumstances of the day and while he's there a man that we all have come to know named Goliath appears on the stage and Goliath comes to the to the to the line of kind of where the army divide the battlefield divides and he says hey you Israelites you 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 worthless group of soldiers is anybody going to come out and fight me today and David hears this and not only does David hear it but he also sees what the Israelite army does and he's appalled they cower and they and they 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 run back into their tents and they and they basically hide from Goliath and he finds out that for 40 days Goliath has been issuing this same challenge will anybody come and fight me and all the while he's been doing this he's been mocking the Israelites he's been mocking their God he's been just mocking everything that he can about the Israelites and David hears this and sees this and he says oh no 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 this can't be like you can you can talk about all kinds of things but don't dare talk about my God how many of you remember in middle school like when somebody would say something about your mama and it was kind of this hey you can talk about whatever you want but don't talk about my mama right and that was kind of David's reaction to this David says no 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 this this can't be and so David goes and he gets the attention of the king King Saul and and David says I'm gonna fight this this giant I'm gonna fight him and all the the soldiers around they just kind of probably laugh <laughs> you're 
you know he's nine feet tall, right? John Bell's six foot two, and I have to look up to talk to him. I'm a short guy. I can't imagine having to look up to someone that was nine feet tall to talk to him. It's, you know, kind of like that. And David says, I'm going to fight him. And so he gets the attention of of, of the king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 34, this is what David says to Saul. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear... And it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And so David does just that. He goes out and he, he responds to the challenge of Goliath. And he goes out and he says, I come to you, verse 45, it says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. David immediately recognizes that this giant, he's bigger and he's badder and he's tougher and he's stronger and all of those things. And he really probably doesn't have a chance against this giant. So he says, I can't rely on my own power. I must rely on the strength of God. And so I come to you in the name of the Lord. It's in his name that I'm going to defeat you. It's in his name that I'm going to get the power. It's in his name that God is going to give me this victory. And so David grabs a couple rocks. We know the story. You all know the rest of the story. He grabs a couple rocks, puts them in his slingshot, a couple twirls around, and off one of the rocks goes and strikes the giant in the head, and down goes Goliath. I wish Howard Cosell had been there to call that, right? (laughs) And down goes Goliath. And this is what it says in verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine, and he killed him. And verse 51, at the end of it, it says, When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. That was it. The battle was over for for. At least a period of time, the war was over. The Philistines, their giant champion, had just been defeated at the hands of of a boy who was not even in the army. Surely this had to be the power of God. And so the next thing that we know is that David is back in the the king's tent. Saul is there, and they're having a little debriefing session, and Saul wants to know exactly who this kid is because he's not in the army. Who is this kid? And so in verse 58, Saul says to him, "Who, who, Who are you? What's your name, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And then in chapter 18, um, we see, this, and this is where we're going to kind of camp for a few minutes this morning. We see this, this idea of friendship come out. This idea of being thankful for friends come out in chapter 18. And we've been talking about this idea of thankfulness for several weeks now. And we're not talking about it just because it's Thanksgiving, although that is a good time to talk about being thankful But we're talking about this specifically because we have seen that the Scriptures are very clear about the attitude of thankfulness. The Israelites, we have seen from the the Exodus and Numbers, that they had serious consequences because of their ungratefulness. When they looked at God and they kind of thumbed their nose at God for all the things that He had done for them, He said, you're not going into the promised land. You've made it this far, you've made it right to the end of the finish line, and you're not going in because you have been ungrateful people. God takes this idea of thankfulness really serious. This is a big deal. And so we're talking about this idea of being thankful because this is a big deal. And so today we want to stop for just a moment and think about the friends and the people that God has put in our lives 
and just be thankful for them. I absolutely believe that God places people into our lives for reasons. And, and it's in those moments of life when life gets tough and we find out who our friends are, and we're going to talk about that in just a, in a few moments, that we ought to be thankful. Thankful for the people that God has put in our lives to encourage us, to, to help us, to, to walk beside us. And in turn, we ought to strive to be that same kind of person, right? We ought to be that kind of friend that, that shows up in the tough times, that encourages those when they're down, that walks beside the people who are, who are lonely. That's the kind of person we want to be. And so this, this idea, it comes out in chapter 18 because what we see here is that David and Saul are having this debriefing. And verse 1, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, this is what we read. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped off the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now you read that and you go, okay, well, who's Jonathan? He's a, he's a new character on the scene. Who, who is this guy, Jonathan? He wasn't in the battle with David and Goliath. Who is this guy? Well, if you take your, in your Bibles and you flip to the left a few chapters in 1 Samuel <coughs> In chapter 14, Jonathan and his armor bearer are sitting on the sidelines. Of, uh, they're watching the Philistines overtake the, the Israelites. And Jonathan decides, hey, things aren't going as fast as I'd like for them to go. And so we need to do something about this. And so this is what it says in chapter 14, verse 1. It says, one day Jonathan, Jonathan saw son. So that gives us the answer as to who he was. He's the king's son. He's the prince. He's Prince Jonathan. One day, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they're watching this, the Israelite army being attacked, and they basically come to this conclusion. Dad's not doing enough. King Saul, dad, is not doing enough in this war, so we need to take things into our own hands. And so we're not going to read chapter 14 uh, just for sake of time, but if you have a chance today, go back and read it. Read it sometime this week because it's a fascinating story. It's probably one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament because Jonathan looks to his armor bearer and he says, Look, I know you've got you to carry my sword, you've got to carry my shield. You don't have any weapons of your own. But there's a group of Philistines that are sitting on the top of this hill. And I think we can take them. And so what do you say? How about me and you? Let's go up there and let's, let's take down these Philistines. And the armor bearer, he doesn't really have a choice in the matter, but he says, okay, Jonathan, whatever you wish, you know, I'll follow. And Jonathan says, well, here's the deal. We'll know, we're going to set up a little test, and we'll know that if God has given us this battle, we can go in. And if, if the Philistines do a certain thing, we can, we can go and fight them. And if they don't do this certain thing, then we know we need to back up and God has not given us this victory. But either way, it's the Lord's battle and so we're going to be okay. And so Jonathan and his, his armor bearer, they go and the Philistines do exactly what God had told them that they would do. And so Jonathan says, okay, the battle is ours. And they go up and these two men, just two men, wipe out an entire group of the Philistine army. And I think that also, that helps give us a little bit of understanding we understand why he might have been in the debriefing there with, with David and Saul because he's the king's son and you're going to be around there. You're going to be in battle. But it also gives us a, another clue as to why David and Jonathan became such instant friends because Jonathan sees what David has done. He sees him go to the front lines of the war and he sees that he has killed Goliath and he did it in the power, through the power of God. And he says, that's exactly what I did. 
We're, we're two guys. We're cut from the same kind of cloth. We're, we're, we're kindred spirits here. You're the kind of guy that I want to be in battle with. When, when I need somebody to have my back, I want you to have my back. And when you need somebody to have your back, I'll have your back. That's the kind of, kind of attitude these two guys have developed, and, and they've seen this. And so they become these instant friends. And it's a great, great friendship. And then we get to the rest of the story. Now, it would be great if the story ended right there, right? David and Jonathan, they're great friends, and they, they do all of these great things together, and they're, they're working for the Lord, and, and everybody lives happily ever after, right? Well, you all know that this is real life, and in real life, happily ever after isn't always happily ever after. And so a couple things happen here. David and Saul, they're heading back to, to Israel. They're heading home after the war. The war's over. They've killed their giant, right? And David, is, as he says, it says in uh, chapter 18, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. They're throwing a parade. They've won the World Series. They've won the war. They're having a parade. And all the women have come out to welcome David and Saul and the rest of the army back. But listen to what they say. So Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was so happy to hear that, wasn't he? No, Saul was angry. And actually, the next verse says that Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more could he have but the kingdom? And it says, Saul eyed David from that day on. Saul instantly recognizes that if David is becoming a folk hero, all of a sudden he's a war hero, and people are going to be talking about David for a long time. And remember, this is before he's King David. This is before he's done any of the great things, before he's known after a man, after God's own heart. This is before all of that. He is, all he has done at this point is killed Goliath. And the people are already fawning all over him. And Saul says, that's not good news for me. Saul's the king, right? And what, what do most politicians, most, uh, most people in power, what's the one thing that they want to protect more than anything else? Their power. The constituent of loss is the constituent that they listen to more than anything else. And Saul realizes he's about to lose power. And so he no longer sees David as an ally, as a friend, but he sees him as an enemy, as someone who's a threat to his throne. And that puts Jonathan in a tough spot. Because now his new best friend is an enemy of his dad. His dad wants his new best friend dead. Think about when they get together for Thanksgiving meal. Well, it's going to be a little tense around that table, right? You, you wonder who's, who's carving the turkey, right? And then you wonder, okay, what are they doing with that knife once, once they're done carving the turkey? And remember, not only did David become just best friends with Jonathan, but as a kind of a reward for his success in the, in the war, He's given a bride, and his bride is the daughter of King Saul, Michael, and, and that's Jonathan's sister. And so now David is not only best friends, but he's a part of the family. And so his, his father-in-law wants him dead. And things don't really get any better. Like I said, this wasn't a happily ever after. Things get, things get tense, they escalate, and so much to the point that Jonathan realizes, okay, I need to, I need to take some steps here. I need to intervene. I need to make sure that, that Dad's not going to do anything to hurt 
David. And so he goes to him and he says, I'm, I, need, I need to get an oath from you. And so in chapter 19, I'm just going to pick out a couple of things that, that Jonathan says to his dad. He says, it spoke well of David to Saul to his father. And he said to him, he's not sinned against you. In other words, he hasn't done anything to you. His deeds have brought good to you. Everything that he's done so far ha- have made you better. For he took his own life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine. And he goes on to say, he says, you saw it and rejoiced. You were there. You were there when he did this and you were happy about it. So why? Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And verse 6 says that Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore he made an oath. He made a commitment. As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So maybe there is a happily ever after, right? Maybe things are, maybe things are on the mend. There's been a little family reunion here. Jonathan assures David, he says, hey, I've taken care of business. I have done everything that, that needs to be done. You're, you are okay. You're going to be safe if you come into the house again. But David's suspicious. He's not sure about this, and he actually he gets word through some other people that, that things may not be as much as, as they appear. In other words... Saul has only said these things to Jonathan just to get Jonathan off his back. Hey, you're going to nag me about this and nag me about this, so I'm going to say what you want me to say, and then I'm going to do what I want to do. And so David says, okay, we need to come up with a little test. We need to devise a test to see if it's actually safe for me to come back. And so what you're going to do is you're going to go, Jonathan, you're going to go tell your dad that that I've left. I'm not going to come to supper for a couple of days. Okay, when supper comes, I'm not going to be there. And when your dad finally asks about it, here's what you're going to tell him, that I had some religious obligations back home and I needed to go and take care of those things. And if, if he says, hey, that's, that's a good thing, you know, you should have done that. Um, if he does that, if he's, that's what he says, then we know that he really means this and he has changed and, I, and I'm okay. But if he gets upset, if he gets angry about this, then we know that he hasn't changed and I need, I need to go back and I need to stay away and I need to hide and all of those things because he's going to try to kill me and so this is what it says in chapter 20 verse 26 but on the second day the day after the new moon David's place was empty he didn't show up for supper and Saul said to Jonathan and his son why has not the son of Jesse come to the mill either yesterday or today and I find that interesting he refers to him as the son of Jesse he doesn't call him by name doesn't say, hey, why didn't David come? He says, why did the son of Jesse, hey, that, that one guy that we've kind of been tolerating, why didn't he show up? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked to leave of, asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. And for this reason, he has not come to the king's table. So how does Saul react? Does he say, okay, that's a good thing, or does he get angry? We see the answer in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. In other words, this is your mother's fault. Do do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die." And then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why would he be put to death? What has he done? And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, and he ate no food for the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Now here's where things get crazy, crazy tough for Jonathan. 
Because Jonathan loves his dad. Jonathan no doubt loves his dad. Every little boy looks up to their dad. Every little boy wants to be like their dad. And Jonathan was no doubt any different than that. Jonathan wanted to be like his dad. And in fact, years later, he's going to be by the side of his dad when his dad dies in battle in Mount Gilbo. Jonathan's going to be right there with him. But things have gotten crazy difficult because his dad is doing something that Jonathan knows is not right. He's trying to kill David, and Jonathan knows that that David hasn't done anything to deserve this, and yet they have this friendship. This is his best friend. And so it's almost as if Jonathan has to choose, okay, do do I choose David or do I choose my dad? What a terrible position that had to be. What an exhausting and stressful position that had to be for Jonathan. And if you keep on reading, you'll find out that what we have for years is this kind of cat and mouse game that takes place between David and Saul. David runs and hides in the caves and and in the desert and all the places that he can find, and Saul keeps chasing after him. And David has to continually look over his shoulder, wondering if Saul Saul and his goons are going to be behind him to kill him the next day or that day or the day after that. And so David finally just gets to a point where he's just overwhelmed and exhausted and, and this, this life of, of constantly being on the run just gets to a breaking point for David. 1 Samuel 23 says, Saul sought him every day. Every day Saul continued to pursue David so that he might kill him. And then it says, but God did not give him into his hand. Here's, what, here's where I, I want you all to to hone in on for for just a moment i know that some of you every day you you know what it's like to have that kind of heavy burden placed on you maybe somebody's not chasing after you trying to kill you but there's some burden in your life that weighs you down that you feel the pressure of every day and every day you feel like you're just hunted and you're chased and you're hounded and your mind is is racing and and you're just constantly checking the rearview mirror waiting for the waiting for the other shoe to fall right because you know that something bad is about to happen Whatever it is, whatever aspect of life that it is, it, it's, you're, maybe you're even to the point where you just feel like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. David was at that point. He was, he was at that point where, where I can't keep living like this. And maybe some of you are at that same place where you just, I can't keep living this way. I can't keep running from all of these things. And my observation here is that David is at this place in here and Jonathan gets word of it. And it's at this moment that his friend shows up. When, when, when Jonathan hears that David is at this point of distress, that he's at this point of exhaustion and overwhelming and he just can't go on, Jonathan gets word of it and Jonathan goes to David. He shows up. And my observation is this, is that when life gets to its max level, when you get into that position where you just don't feel like you can do it anymore, that's when you find out who your real friends are. That's who you find out who are more than just acquaintances, who are more than just people that show up on Sunday morning and shake your hand. You find out who the people are who will get in the trench with you and get in the foxhole with you, and they walk through life with you. That's when you find out when, when life is at that max level and you just can't keep doing things the way that they've been done. That's when you find out who your friends are. And here's the real big observation that you might have made, and, that, and it might surprise you too is that it's not always the people that show up that you thought would show up. Sometimes it's not the people that you think should show up that show up in your life, but those are the people who love you, who care about you, who, who want God's best interest for you. And in chapter 23, verse 15, David is at that point, and Jonathan shows up, and this is what it says. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. 
And David was out in the wilderness at, at Ziph and, and Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish. And notice this line. Notice this says, and strengthened his hand in God. Remember what drew David and Jonathan together in the first place? Remember what, what brought them together? It was, it was that they were able to do things in the, in the power of God. That they were able to have all these battle conquests through the power of God. And this, what, that's what strengthened them. It was God's strength. It was God's power that drew them together. And in this moment of weakness, in this moment of desperation, in this moment of, hey, I need a friend who will, who will stick to me, Jonathan comes and he strengthens him in the name of God. Of God. It's that same power that once brought them together is now what sustains their friendship. And Jonathan comes to David and he strengthens him in the hand of God and, and, and he, he says a couple of things to him. And this is life-changing for David. The first thing he says is this. He says, don't fear for the hand of Saul, my father, will not come near you. My father will not find you. That would be incredibly comforting, right? If you're running from somebody who's trying to kill you and their son shows up and says, hey, you can quit worrying about dad. He's not going to get you. I'll do everything I can to make sure he's not there. That would be incredibly comforting. But the second thing, the second thing here that Jonathan says is even more powerful than that. He says, you shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. Remember, this is Jonathan, the son of Saul, the son of the king, the prince, who is saying this. These are coming over his lips. He's the next in line. And, and, and men, this is just, maybe it's just uh, a characteristic of men. But this had to be incredibly difficult for Jonathan to say because Jonathan was next in line to be the man. And every man wants to be the man, right? And Jonathan says, I understand that this isn't my place. And you're my best friend. And you're the one who God has chosen. And so I'm going to give up my spot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice my birthright. What, what should be mine by birth, I'm going to give that up because you're my friend. And I know this is what God wants. How incredibly difficult that must have been for Jonathan. But to read it, it doesn't seem like it was difficult at all for Jonathan because Jonathan knew, Jonathan knew what God's will was. And that's the kind of friend that we all desire to have, the kind of friend that would, that would give up their birthright because they knew that's what God wanted for them, the, the kind of friend that would give up, that would move heaven and hell for us because they knew that's what God needed for us. And you know, those friends, they don't come, we don't come by those very often. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking, you, and you're going, I, you know, Adam, I'm listening to you, and I'm, I'm hearing you say all these things about David and Jonathan and their friendship, but I've never come across somebody like that. I don't have that kind of friend. I don't have that kind of person in my life. And I'll be honest with you, there's, there's a real good probability that you don't because I think these are kind of like once-in-a-lifetime friendships. These are, these are friendships that are so rare that, that not everybody in life experiences them on this side of heaven. But Proverbs 18.24, Proverbs 18.24 says this. It says, There is one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. For a moment, we might have this thought that I don't have that kind of friend. I've never had that kind of person in my life. I've never had that kind of relationship. I'm never going to have that kind of friendship. 
But Proverbs says there is one who sticks closer than a brother. And then in the New Testament, that's paralleled in John chapter 15, in John chapter 15, verse 13, when it says, Greater love has this than greater love knows this than for man to lay down his life for his friend. And then a couple verses following that, and if you if you highlight your Bible or you underline stuff, maybe this is a verse you want to highlight. But Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. And then he says this, but I have called you friends. We may not have on this side of heaven a friendship like David and Jonathan had. We may not. But scripture is pretty clear that there is one who sticks closer than a brother and his name is Jesus. And he calls us friend. And it says, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friend. And see, the thing about Jesus is he didn't just say it. He did it. I mean, that was the, the whole point of going to the cross was to lay down his life for us. And he calls us friend. Jesus' words, Jesus' actions matched his words. And so this morning, maybe, maybe you hear this and you, maybe you're a little discouraged that you don't have that kind of friend in your life, this side of heaven. But let me encourage you in this. There is one that you can't have friendship with, that you can't have a relationship with. And guess what? He wants nothing but your best interest, so much so that he would lay down his own life for your salvation. And so this morning, I want to invite you today that if you haven't come to a place where you know that you have friendship with God, through the work of what Jesus did on the cross, I want to invite you into that friendship with Him. To accept Him as Lord, Savior, and friend. Because He laid down His life. Because He loves us. And that's at the heart of what friendship is all about. And so today, this week, as you gather around as you gather around Thanksgiving tables with friends and families, would you just take a moment and stop and be thankful for the people that are gathered around that table with you? Because chances are, they are people that you call friends. And more importantly, they're people that Jesus calls friends. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We are thankful for stories in the Old Testament like David and Jonathan and, and the example of their relationship, their friendship. And Father, we pray that we might be, be blessed enough to have those kind of friendships in our lives. But Father, if we don't, help us not to be discouraged in that. Help us to know that, that you're the friend that we need. And through your love, through your grace, through your mercy, we have a friendship that will never die. And because of that friendship, we'll never die. And so, Father, help us to, to just be thankful people. Thankful for the people in our lives, but also thankful for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.